Hello again. You're very welcome to the last women's rugby pod of 2019. I'm Johnny Hammond and I'm back with Harlequin's history maker and England legend Rachel Burford. Happy Betwixtmas, Johnny. See what I did there? That's brilliant. Um, it, look, it seems like a good time for us to have a look back on a terrific year of women's rugby. You're right, Berth. Let's hope 2020 is as much fun. On this week's show, we'll reflect on the last big occasion of the year. Your match with Leinster at Twickenham at the weekend. What a night to remember it was, Johnny. And our last show of 2019, we have a very special guest on. The editor of the brilliant Scrum Queen's website, Ali Donnelly. Between the three of us, we will select our World 15 of the Year and look ahead to 2020. So much to look forward to in the new year, starting with our good old chat over our selection for our 2019 World Dream Team. Yeah, looking forward to that. But first, must just say... Merry Christmas, Berth. Did you have a good one? I did, thanks, Johnny. I've been a bit poorly um, since getting back from Kenya. You but um, No, I had a really nice time with family, some friends. Santa was good to me. Um, well, she's yeah, been a good a nice girl. Friend. Always. You sound like... Uh, why are you even questioning that? Or well, sound surprised? I've spent a lot, lot of time with you over the last three months. <laughs> exactly, I am surprised, so you yeah. should know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? You have a good one? Kids enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, down to my brother's place, Black Down Yurts um, in, in Devon. I must check it out. It's a, it's a great place to go and have a little bit of holiday and a little relaxing time. So um, now they've got a pool down there and what have you. And so, yeah, swimming oh, on Christmas nice. Day is different and what have you. And lots of lovely walks and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very, very nice. Uh, I think I've eaten my own body weight in cheese. Um, but apart from that, I've actually been quite abstemious with, uh, with, with booze and other food, to be, to be honest. Um, but no, uh, yeah, very nice time. Thank you very much. And we got back, and we're back straight into Twickenham, both you and I. How uh, how was Saturday for you? What was it like playing? It was just so good. Like just all the build up towards it, and like we talked about it so much leading into it, like how special it was for the club and for players. You know, there's a lot of players that will never get the opportunity to play at Twickenham because. You know, for whatever reason, they don't play internationally. So, for club players who work so hard um, week in, week out in their clubs and, you know, promote the women's game, be role models, they never really get, you know, the opportunities that international players get. They got that this weekend and they got to run out of the hallow turf with flames going, with a mascot. Seven and a half thousand people stayed to watch. It was just, it was brilliant. And it... 100% was never mentioned. We never spoke about it being friendly. It was just a game that we were representing our club. We were making history. And it was kind of like this huge excitement. Um, and all we wanted to do was go out there and play a good brand of rugby. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm a believer that we, both teams did that. They really put on a great show. And, and obviously having yours truly doing the, the old broadcast, thanks for that, Johnny, put on you know, a platform for everybody to see you know, what women's rugby can do. I was outstanding game of rugby. Um, really was. There's some 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 high class quality. And considering Leinster, yeah, haven't have been together for for a couple of months. You guys obviously playing week in week out in the Tyrrells Premier Fifteens. But um, yeah, one other thing I, I did just wanted to mention was don't like to pick out individuals, but uh, really really nice to see Jess Breach um, back being Jess Breach, just scoring tries for fun at Twickenham. The ease in which she she makes try scoring look. 
uh, and yet she gets all those tiny little details right. She had a tough 2019, and it's really, really nice to see her back playing to somewhere near her best. Now, I thought Leinster, yeah, yeah, they had a few players missing for for various reasons. I mean, they wanted to, to, to select a, a strong side, and they did. Look, they had 11 internationals to, to, to start the game. Yeah. Um, but no, they, it, it was a proper game of rugby. Um, the other thing I was I wanted to ask you, and it may make you you blush and what have you, um, but I can't see because um, you're you're at your place and I'm I'm here in the studio. But um, how proud are you of, of of being a member of Harlequins and, and a, a real figurehead at Harlequins? Just how proud are you of, of of what the club is is prepared to do in terms of? Putting the women's game at the forefront, everything's fifty-fifty. The the, yeah, the match program, big glossy thing for big game twelve, fifty-fifty. Half it women, half it men's. All the livery around the stoop is all men and women that are even down the tunnel at Twickenham on Saturday. It's men and women next to each other. Uh, they really are prepared to make mistakes, aren't they? To to push the boundaries because somebody's got to do it to to push things forward. Yeah, and I think that's probably what I'm most proud about. That they're prepared to fail but they're prepared to try things in order to push the boundaries and to grow the women's game and to grow their players and to, you know, push others and make other people wake up. And but in the same process of all of that, if they fail, they're not afraid to then try again and to learn from those mistakes. And I think that's, that's something that clubs and even international federations need to do with their teams. They need to take risks in order to keep developing and keep pushing. You know, you think about our game changer that we run every year. Right from the start, we've set records and we keep going after them again and again and again. And that could have been enough. We could have just gone, well, we've got the game changer, you know, in April. We're going to go for a record crowd again. But they thought, well, why not do something different? Our men are going to be playing at big game 12. Why aren't our women? And let's do something around that. Let's build around that. And I think, you know, for for the first time that it's been done, like you say, the, the programme itself was brilliant. You know, 75,000 people were in that stadium. Now, 75,000 people bought that um, that programme. They would have flipped over and, and seen and learned about the women's rugby. Maybe they might not have stayed, but, you know, next year they might. And I think that's what it's all about. It's about taking the first step. And I think that's something now that we pride ourselves on, that we want to be the first and that we're going to keep pushing the boundaries. And hopefully, and what we want is other teams and other unions to go, do you know what, we need to do something. Because then all that's going to do is create and generate more momentum and more growth. And that's all that we want. So, yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. Um, my only little bugbear, and I know we spoke about it on the WRP before, in terms of internationally, is... Yeah, look, we're we're not there in women's rugby yet, are we? In terms of in terms of the crowd, to maximise that, let's not worry about the boys wanting to warm up on the pitch, the full pitch yeah, before yeah. the game. The women's game has to be first. I'm not going to say the curtain raiser because that's, that's 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 not correct. But the women's game has to be first. Um, all those people come to Twickenham and big game twelve is, geez, what an occasion! I mean, it's, it's full full noise and full dance and. And all the rest of it, um, and outside the fans' village and what have you. Imagine those people. Oh, there's actually, yeah, there's there's a game going on now. Oh, it's the women. Oh, you're, let, let's let's wander in. You know, by the time you guys kicked off, what was it? Quarter past seven in the end. Um, we had a, we'd had a good forty-five minutes since the main game had finished. Everybody's getting cold. Mother and father or in-laws, whatever, getting cold in the stands. The kids are getting cold, uh, and away we go. Yes, yeah, seven and a half thousand is is brilliant. But um, yeah, for, yeah, for me, it's got to be before. Yeah, I 
think maybe there's there's two sides you look at it. Maybe there's you lose that 45-minute window. I mean, I remember playing the England International there where we pretty much did the majority of our warm-up in the gym and then we had maybe 15 minutes on the pitch before we kicked off to make sure people stayed. And maybe that's, you know, you shorten that window down. Or, and then I guess you may, you should really look at that Barbarians fixture against Wales. And they had, what what was it, Jolly? Was it something like 11,000 yeah. watching? So so then you look at that model and then maybe look at the Barbars versus England, how many people in the seats before that game. I think what we need to do is just understand what works and then do what works, not... You know, well, we put it on after because that's what we've always done. Um, we need to find what actually works for the women's game and how we grow it, instead of just kind of sticking to the norm. Now we know that the Barbarians game got more people than we've ever seen. That was a kickoff before, so why not look at that? And I'm sure, look, I know what Harlequins are like. They'll go away, they'll look at this, they'll see how they can make it better for both both teams, um, and they'll do some tinkering and hopefully, you know. You know, it's not been confirmed, but big tw- big game thirteen will be, you know, the next step up, and and we'll learn from these lessons and maybe change that. Um, I guess that we don't necessarily know all the logistical side of it around, you know, why is after or what can be changed there. But it's definitely worth asking those questions and finding the best solution to ultimately what we want is more bums and seats watching the games. Yeah, look, I, I think there's the, the two kind of strands to it, isn't it? Number one, practically, Twickenham, you already mentioned the, the gym in the change rooms, basically. So there is space to warm up. There's pitches pitches out the back as, as well. So they, I think there's enough change rooms, all that kind of stuff. So I think practically to, to get both teams, both sets of teams for, for the two games warmed up and, and doing things appropriately, having just adjust slightly, I don't think it's a problem. I guess commercially, you you want those fans turning up, going to the fans' village, spending all their money on the bits and pieces and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess is 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 another aspect of it. But but look, um, the bottom line is huge, huge triumph, massive congratulations to to Leinster, um, all the players that came over, um, all the management. They were incredibly helpful from a broadcast point of view for. For me, um, gave me a load of load of bump and what have you. Yeah, Atlanta, who heads up the uh, the women's program, uh, Gary Street. Oh, just uh, I've seen bigger smiles on his faces, but that was winning a World Cup, so that's fair enough. But he was absolutely beaming in the tunnel afterwards. Karen Finley, really, really pumped, really emotional through the week. Um, but everyone, you know, the, the board and, and down at Harlequins, just huge, huge um, plaudits to you. Uh, fabulous idea. Brilliant, you're doing it and paving the way, smashing glass ceilings, however large or small that they are. And to you as players, for, for, for because it's all very well putting these things on, but you, you've then got to produce a product uh, that, that is attractive to watch. And that's exactly what you guys did. So uh, chapeau to you all. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. It was a really proud day for everybody involved. And, and like you say, you know, lots of history has been there. You know, with Gary at, at HQ... Karen also played in the game in the cup fixture however many years ago at, at the at Twickenham and I was coaching the team there so yeah it was a proud proud day for everybody involved from everybody off the pitch and behind the scenes to the players on it as well I'm Jess Breach and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod Uh, an interesting spectator on Saturday was someone who has been one of the biggest supporters of women's rugby for many years now. It's a very warm WRP welcome 
for the first time to Ali Donnelly. Ali, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Did you have a good one? I did. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. Oh, don't be silly. Um, you're back home for uh, for Christmas. That was nice then. Yeah, back in Ireland for a few days, rugby free, which was quite nice. And then uh, back into it now, watched a couple of games over the weekend. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice break. Oh, great stuff. Rugby free and sun free in Ireland. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed so. Um, so, yeah, talking back at, um, at games that you've been watching over the weekend, um, you were across events at, um, at Twickenham with um, Berth and her Harlequin side against uh, Leinster. What did you... What do you make of the, the game and the whole occasion? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, I couldn't get there because I wasn't back yet from Ireland, but I did listen to the stream, so thanks for your commentary. It was, it was, it was great. Um, I just thought it was a great occasion, and I think to have 7,000 people there, it, it, you know, Quinns are definitely, I think, showing the other clubs uh, what is possible, and sometimes you need people to take risks in, in sport as in life, and they, and they are doing that. So I think, you know, as, as a marker for what, can happen in the club game in the UK. I thought it was brilliant. And it was also just a great game to watch. I mean, maybe because it was a friendly and there wasn't sort of league points riding on it, both teams just went for it. But there was some fantastic drives. And yeah, it was just a fantastic occasion, I thought. Yeah, what really struck me is that I went down to the the tunnel after the game um, and the euphoria from, from both sets of management, Quinns and Leinster, and, and chats already of, of, of doing this an annual thing and going back to Ireland next year and all, all that kind of stuff. It was, it, was, it was just, yeah, everyone was so buoyed by it at, at the end. Was that the same in the change rooms, Berth? Yeah, I think straight after the match, but I think firstly, like you both mentioned it about it being a friendly. I, I genuinely totally forgot that it was a friendly. Like it felt so much more than that. And I think that's a natural, natural feeling. But it just was such a great occasion. And I remember chatting to Sene after and just saying, like, look, result is what it is. It doesn't really matter. What we've done today is created something new for the women's game and we've put it on a new platform, on a bigger stage. And that's really what it's about. Um, and look, we know what it's doing to our game domestically in the UK and what it will kick on to do because every team is going to be knocking to want to play in that game now. Mm-hmm. Any team in either in England or in Ireland is going to want to be a part of the game fixture, which is brilliant. I guess, like from your point of view, Ali, like from Ireland, what does it, what does something like this do for the province of Leinster, but also the other provinces and the club rugby there? Yeah, I mean, I think it just gave it a profile that it would never have had. I mean, the the interpros in Ireland are obviously played over a few weekends in the year. They're they're high profile because the teams are well known because of the sort of structure and setup of the provinces there, but. We don't see them play very often, and certainly they're not playing in the massive stadiums like like Twickenham. So I, I think it gave it visibility that it just wouldn't have had. And Ireland aren't doing brilliantly at the moment, and I think it probably to do with a bit more exposure and a bit bit more of that visibility after I guess the peak of the World Cup. So I think that that would have helped, no doubt. But um, I think you probably have a lot of teams in Ireland looking very enviously on at you guys and others who are getting to play at Twickenham. Because I think the other thing is. There are players in that Leinster team, and perhaps Quinns too, who will never get to play at Twickenham because we don't get yeah. to see much club rugby play there. So I think you're right. People will want to play in that game for something you do every year, and, and I hope that you do. It was the third, the third club game, uh, women's club game at Twickenham, the last one being 18 years ago that Karen Finley actually played in, the Harlequins uh, co-head coach. Um, how, how? Because off the, off the back, the, the kind of main takeaway was, look, this this must be the first step of, of kind of a, a European competition within the within the women's game. Ali, with all your experience and knowledge of the women's game, how, how far away realistically do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I haven't heard any serious talks happening behind the scenes about it, apart from a couple of, some interest a few years ago when, 
Saracens went down and played in France and so on. But I think, I think, look, I think if, you, if you're talking about, say, Ireland's involvement, you'd have to be talking about provinces as opposed to clubs. The clubs just aren't good enough or strong enough. I guess the same if you were talking about Wales, you'd be looking at the regions. It would be brilliant, but of course it will require investment. It will require resources that, that you know, I don't know if the, the will is there to do that, but certainly I think if you had you know, six or seven games, even if we made it a different competition, because always when we think about these tournaments, we're thinking about the men's game, right? So we're thinking about how can we create a tournament that looks like the Heineken Cup? Well, actually, forget that. How can we create a cross-European tournament that is right for women's rugby? And I think yeah, that's exactly. that which we should be thinking about, you know, even if it's only six teams and, and you start from that base. So it'll be really interesting to see if there's will there to do it, and I don't know if there is, but... Certainly, there's a product. Ali, if we just just move away from 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 the the, the, the club stuff uh, initially, something I've always wanted to ask you, and I, we've known each other quite some time now. How, why did Scrum Queens come about? Um, so I I had been a journalist in Ireland, and then I moved to London in 2007 and started working in communications, which is what I what I what I still do. And essentially, I just missed writing and. I was living in London and the World Cup was coming up in 2010. And, I mean, a lot has changed in a decade. I mean, Rachel will remember, and you will remember, Johnny, very few people were writing about women's rugby in 2009, which is when I set Scrum Queens up. So, you know, Stephen Jones did a bit around the big tournament. She's always been such a supporter. Paul Morgan, Rugby World magazine, Sky were then, you know, coming on board to take the the seat of the 2010 World Cup. But there weren't many others. Uh, doing it. So, you know, I knew about the game. I, I volunteered with the Irish Rugby Union to help promote the women's team. I knew I could write a bit because I'd been a journalist. So I just decided to set up what was going to be a blog. And then my, my other half set a proper website up and it just sort of went from there. And to be honest, I keep thinking that it will go away and fade away because, you know, there's, there are a lot of other people writing about women's rugby now. And it sort of achieved what I wanted it to achieve, which was to generate interest, to you know, be somewhere where you could find out what games were being played. I mean, back then, I used to have to text the managers of all the international teams to find out results of games because you just couldn't find out anything. So, you know, Wales would be playing Scotland and I'd be texting the Wales manager to find out what the result was an hour after the match because there was no one else telling you. So all, all of those sorts of original objectives, I think, don't exist anymore because that's happening. But, um, yeah, I mean, and ultimately, I just quite enjoy writing and I enjoy promotion the game but I probably won't do it forever right I just I, I always remember though that Scrum Queens was our go-to as well to find out results to find out like if our game was being streamed we'd go to the Scrum Queens look on there and then share that with our friends and family it was like the source of all women's rugby knowledge and it's just grown and grown and grown but I think because you have so many fans from back then and you because you, you mentioned about oh you thought it might just die away and go that everybody still relies on that information is always going that if they need to know something it's Scrum Queens that they go to. Yeah, and that's really nice that's really nice to hear. And I think in the early days probably the people who were reading were often like players and their families and their friends. Um, and if you know if we didn't for example write about a match or t- live tweet something, you know, we'd get a load of DMs from dads of players <laughs> asking us, you know, where where's the where's this result of that result? Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I don't think that is so, so much a problem anymore. Like the game is being covered, particularly the test game. Um, but where I think we have scope to grow a lot, and hopefully we'll do a bit more this over the next year, is to look at the top club competitions around the world because there are some really good things happening in Australia, New Zealand, here obviously, 
French tapes, and there's a lot of interest in those competitions, I think. So uh, hopefully we'll do a bit more with those. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just back up what Berth says uh, as a broadcaster from, yeah, from that 2010 World Cup. Yeah, Scrum Queens was always the go-to. In fact, the only place to go to. Um, and I, I certainly use it as a, as a tool. And, and you and John Birch as well, just huge amounts of information. So, uh, no, look, thank you. Well, yeah, from us all, thank you so much for starting and continuing. It's, uh, it, it's fabulous. Um, well, you, you spoke about sort of looking ahead to, to next year, what, what might happen. If we may, let, let's just look back at um, 2019, Ali. I think if I look back at the year, it was a huge year for test match rugby. So I think we had 75 tests around about, John, John tells me. John's our stat so he's usually right about these things. Um, which means that this year's actually been the busiest ever year for test rugby, outside for World Cup year, which is pretty significant. I mean, I, I remember back in sort of, I can't remember, 2008, 9, 10, I did a little bit of work for World Rugby in some of their tournaments, just writing. And somebody senior in World Rugby said at the time to me, well, sevens will just become the game for women. And I, I was horrified because, I, you know, a guilty thing to say, but I don't really like sevens. I really like the 15s game. So I'm so glad that hasn't happened. And Test Match Rugby has become, you know, something that will draw in massive crowds, as has happened in England. We had 10,000 and extra again this year. So I think just the fact that the Test game is so strong has been has been brilliant, and I think uh, England qualifying for the Olympics was was kind of a surprise of the year, which is a sort of crazy thing to say. But they hadn't been playing well, and it was a great qualifying tournament, and they they played brilliantly to qualify. So that was that was exciting. But there have been loads of highlights this year. First ever African Championship, very one sided, but you know those things have to happen, um, and loads of others. I'm sure Rachel has you know great playing memories. But it's been a good year for a year that's been sort of mid World Cup and pre Olympics. Some some new areas of rugby actually that are, that are beginning to, to 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 blossom, not only with the sevens but but fifteens as well. Sort of European countries, Netherlands and, and places like that. Yeah, and I think you know this year's Six Nations was quite interesting. Italy finished second. I mean, I don't know if anybody would ever have expected that a few years ago when they were obviously finishing bottom all the time. Actually, I haven't mentioned that, but Japan coming over to Europe, beating Scotland, drawing with Italy. That wouldn't have happened a few years ago. So I think there's some interesting um, teams on the rise ahead of the, ahead of the World Cup in New Zealand. And looking forward to 2020, um, what does the game need to do to... Because I, we, we'd look at the Lionesses and, and England cricket and hockey and that kind of stuff. So it seems to have taken a sort of a step up in terms of commercially and sponsorship and all that kind of stuff. Um, why, considering the England team, um, if, we, if we look just, just in England, one of the most successful English teams of the decade, actually by, by some distance. Why isn't it not taking that extra step up? I mean, of course, there's the one-offs at Exeter and, and what have you in Twickenham and, and obviously Saturday and events like that, but it does not seem to be taking up the next step. Well, what, is, what do we need to do in 2020 to get it there? Is that, is that a question for me? It is. Yeah, well, both I of think, you, actually. Do you know what? Both of you. Yeah. I mean, I guess off the field, it, it, you know, the game can't go backwards now. And I think, you know, I talked to Katie Sadler recently about this, and, you know, she seems to be, you know, someone who's doing great things at World Rugby to move the game forward. We the Super Series this summer. I know the facilities weren't great, and privately the sort of players, the players weren't very happy about that. But the actual format of bringing the best teams together in one place in the summer every year is massive. I think the World Rugby are looking at a, a sort of Nations Cup style tournament for the women's game that didn't really work for the men's. That'd be interesting. I'd really, really personally like the Six Nations to be moved. I don't know how Rachel would feel about that, but I hate the scheduling. I think if you look at the fixtures this year, you know, England play France at sort of you know, in the afternoon on the on the Sunday, 
an hour before, you know, another team play and all the games are rammed into sort of these awful slots for, for television and so on. So I would love to see the game sort of open its horizons and, you know, what I said earlier, think about what the right thing for women's rugby is because we do have a market now for women's rugby and, and England and France, in particular Ireland too, are showing that if you market it properly, you will get crowds. So we need, we need you know, the games administration to take a few risks, I think. Do you agree, Beth? Yeah, no, I think it's a fair point if you think about, um, you know, having the, the fixtures all at the same time. You're competing with the same markets, the same broadcasters, the same sponsors. So being able to shift that and move that could open up, you know, the opportunities for all games to be um, TV broadcasted, new sponsors come on board, individual sponsors. So there's, there's lots of kind of pros to actually just shifting the Six Nations, not getting rid of it because, you know that as a player you know playing the part of the Six Nations is like you know it just takes me back to like being a child and watching it on TV and wanting to be a part of it so wouldn't ever want to lose it but you know I wouldn't be um, you know too concerned about just shifting whereabouts in the calendar that that is and I think um, your point about bringing you know the best teams together annually is is brilliant because if you look at the actual the results of that summer series it wasn't like a whitewash for anybody um, so the more games that you can have players playing the top level um, you know it, across, the, across the world is only going to make us have an even more exciting tighter closer margin World Cups which is what we're all striving for So what, what are we expecting in 2020 then in terms of club and international rugby Who, who's going who's gonna to rise who's going to fall what are we, where, where are we looking at Ali uh, I think the two kind of exciting things next year for me are obviously the Olympics because, you know, the first Olympic Sevens appearances made such a massive splash, I think, for women's rugby and, and it did elevate it to a level that we hadn't seen before in terms of exposure and interest. So that's obviously big. Um, I'm really interested in the World Cup qualifiers in September. So Ireland are in there, unfortunately, and Scotland are in there, Italy are in there, one other. And only, you know, one of those teams is going to qualify for the World Cup. The rest aren't. They will go into a, a repertoire to finish runners-up. So, that's quite a big year because a big team's going to lose out in the World Cup spot this year. So I think that'll be interesting. Six Nations, to know I might let, let Rachel treat you that. Hopefully she'll be playing in it. Are you picking the team, Ellie? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying hopefully you will be. <laughs> yeah, I think Six Nations always looking forward to. But I think for me, you, you mentioned it about the World Cup qualifiers. I think that's, you know, talking to some of the Irish girls and obviously some of the Scottish girls um, who play at Carlequins. You know, that is so much on their agenda um, and it's hard for them to think past that, really. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be quite disappointing if, if one of those teams aren't involved in it. Yeah, I think for Ireland it would be a, a disaster, frankly. I mean, you, you know, to go from winning tournaments a few years ago to hosting the World Cup then not qualifying for the next one, I think that would be a real failure of, of the system in Ireland, actually. But, but let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's, it's just... It's bizarre where you see how successful Ireland have been and the union that they come from. You would expect them to be in a, in a far, far better position. And so, like you say, if that is to happen, which I hope there's, well, I can't say really because I've got Irish hands and Scottish teammates um, yeah. both and kind of fighting that space. Yeah, and Italian fighting that spot out. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it could be a sad, sad affair. and you are listening to the Women's Rugby Pod.
I know you do teams of the decade and they're very well received on social media with, with scrum queens um, and, and, and debated and what have you. We wanted to just go through, as, as this is our last WRP of 2019, with you two. Um, no two better pay, people placed to, to do this, but to go through a team of the year. I think, um, right, we start, let's start with the front row. It's very difficult, actually. Um, the one definiteness I've got in there is Sarah Byrne. Um, you know, she just, I think she's had another really good year, as I said, and it's just become one of the best props in the world already. And she's so young, it's terrifying. Um, and Hooker, I've got Caroline Tamar, the French um, Hooker, who I thought was brilliant in the Six Nations and, and kind of, she got, I think she got a couple of hat tricks in, I think, the French Mall even though they didn't have a brilliant Six Nations, was really, really good, and she was right at the heart of that. I've also picked a French uh, Lutehead, however, uh, I've got a Kiwi in here as well. So I've picked Lisa Arikast, who, who was, again, really really brilliant in the in the Six Nations and the Autumn. However, my, I've got a question mark, a slash, uh, the Kiwi prop, Tucker Natua, who I think was very good this year as well. So I'm not sure if I'm... If I'm finalising any of those, but those are the three I've got for the front row. Who, who have you guys got? What do you, what, where are you going, Berth? I mean, yeah, I'm Burn, absolute shoe in for me. Yeah, Burner was nailed down. Um, I did. I had a blanket hooker. Sorry, and then oh, I actually put down Hope Rogers for. Um, yeah, yeah, and but we didn't actually see a lot of her. But what I did see of her, I thought was really impressive, and hopefully we'll see more of her this season. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, she, no, I've, I've picked her before. She's a really good player. Yeah. Um, okay, good. So we're not too far away from each other. Um, yeah, that's fair at, enough. At lock, at lock, I've gone for Lene Corsan and Abby Scott. Uh, so French and English player in there. Uh, there's also Louise Blackwell, who I thought was really good for New Zealand. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I was a similar on the 10, kind of no real standout out. But Katie's done it like it's done a brilliant job for England this year and kind of has, has pulled the team through at, at critical moments, especially in. I know that um, we'll get on to centres in a minute that Emily Scout was influential in America, but it was also to do with Katie's um, ball play as well. So, yeah, I think... She's still um, consistent, isn't she? Yeah. A real leader. Yeah, Okay, And then... She was uh, a nomination for Player of the Year as well, wasn't she? So, yeah, I think Katie (laughs) DM gets... Gets the nod there. Um, so Coxsick and, and Katie Taylor McGee. Um, let's have a look at the centres then, shall we? Guess World, yeah. Play, World Player of the Year's Tr- got to be there, is she? Tricky. I'm going to let Rachel go first, given that she's a Rigoni all day long. Um, 
I'm going to yeah, throw so somebody. I, I, I'm I, I wouldn't argue with her. I wouldn't argue yeah. with her. Yeah. No, no, don't mess with that. I'm going to throw <laughs> somebody in the mix. Um, and it's mainly well, not just just club form, but she's doing a little bit for Scotland. She wasn't heavily involved in the the front end of the Six Nations, but Rona Lloyd. Yeah, good player. Really good player. Good player. Absolutely tearing up trees in the Tyrrells um, and actually played pretty well out in South Africa for Scotland as well, scoring a couple of tries and what have you. Um, we don't have any Scots yet, do we? No, what position has she been playing in, in the last Scottish games? Uh, she's been on the left wing. Wing. Yeah, you can stick her on the left wing. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would be happy with that too. Yeah, she's a really good player. And, and Scotland, they've had an interesting year, haven't they? So kind of... It didn't end brilliantly against Japan, but they beat South Africa in those two tests, and I think on Scotland Doyle they're going to get better. So I guess if we have yeah. the conversation next year, you might be talking about quite a few more Scottish players. So we 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 are we are looking down there, ladies. Um, I mean, feverishly writing down. Hope Rogers at one. French hooker Caroline Thomas, three is Sarah Byrne, four Abby Scott, five Blackwell from New Zealand. Six, we went Franco. Hamet at seven. Sophie de Gooday, Canada, eight. Nine was Coxedge, ten. Katie Daly McLean. Centres were Rigoni and Scarrett. And back three, Letty Liga, Rona Lloyd, and Elsa Allery. Yeah, I think that's good. It's a good team. That'll do, won't great it? Team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great team. Yeah, great team. Happy with us. We'll spread it around yeah. a little bit as well. Um, yeah, pop that on the website, no problem. There you are. We've done that for you. <laughs> um, brilliant, Ali. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. I hope you have a, a really, really fantastic new year. Thanks for coming on and, and all you do with Scrum Queens, uh, you and John. It's, uh, yeah, it's hugely appreciated uh, within the women's game. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All the best. Yeah, Take care now. Big thanks, Ali. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. But that's all from us this week and this year. So my thanks to Ali and to Berth. Yeah, wholehearted thanks to, to you, Berth. Um, it's, uh, it's been a brilliant, brilliant journey starting up this uh, WRP. Uh, great fun. So, yeah, huge thanks personally to you. Have a very, very happy new year. Thanks, Joe. I can't believe we're rounding off 2019. It's been a great journey, as you say, so far. Um, but I can't wait for 2020. Yeah, let's go from strength to strength. On the WRP next week, we will preview the latest round of Tyrrell's Premier 15 matches, which will return the weekend after next. That's right, and we'll hopefully be chatting all things Fairwood Waterloo next week as well. So remember, if you do listen, please subscribe to us. Please rate us, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at Rugby. Tell all your friends, your family, your teammates, your clubmates, to get behind us as well your one stop shop for everything in the women's game from around the world and remember whatever you're doing to support the women's game wherever you are keep it up Happy New Year